0: Our gospel reading for this morning is from Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 22. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and teach the way of God in accordance with truth, and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality." Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give, therefore, to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. Robert Benchley famously once wrote that there are two classes of people in the world Those who divide the world into two classes and those who do not. I have always loved that quote because besides being witty, it's also true. Human beings love dividing the world into two. We love seeing the world in simple binaries of good and evil, of haves and have-nots, of conservatives and liberals of men and of women, the righteous and the unrighteous, gay and straight, Christian and non-Christian. The list could go on. We could be here all day naming all the ways that humans like to divide the world into two. We are obsessed with trying to categorize people, pigeonhole them into simple binary labels. And if you're thinking, I seem to remember Joel starting a sermon with that same quote about a year ago. Well, bonus points for you, because I did. Uh, It just happens to be a great quote. Why not use it more than once? The religious leaders in Jesus' day were as obsessed with dividing the world in two as we are. And in today's reading, they are trying to trap Jesus into one of these binary questions, hoping that it will discredit him in front of the people. Jesus is still in his confrontation with the religious elite in the temple. If you recall, the whole conflict started right after Jesus entered the temple and cleansed it and has led what I'm calling a people's occupation movement in the temple. And the religious leaders, the the elites, the elders, the Pharisees, they saw the temple as their turf and they sought to challenge Jesus. And they asked him about where he gets his authority from and Jesus responded by asking them a binary question saying, well I'll tell you but first tell me, John's baptism, was it from God or was it from humans? And that, that binary question trapped the religious leaders. They didn't know what to do because no matter how they answered it, they were in trouble. If they said it was from God, they would have condemned themselves. If they said it was from humans, then the people around Jesus would have been upset. And so they don't answer. They told him, we don't know. And Jesus responded by telling them three parables that really undressed them undress the religious leaders and and expose their own hypocrisy, their own violent intent, and Jesus' total vulnerability in the face of their violence. And so humiliated and angered, the leaders decide it's time to do away with Jesus and have him arrested, but they couldn't do it because the crowds were around and they would have stopped it from happening. So how do you turn the crowds on Jesus? That's what the Pharisees and the Herodians are trying to do by asking what appears to be a simple tax policy question. Does the law allow paying taxes to Caesar or not? This seems like a simple question, but in Roman-occupied Israel 2,000 years ago, paying taxes to Caesar was hugely controversial. Think of how volatile No taxation without representation was in our nation's founding. And take that sentiment and multiply it by a hundred and you have something of what was going on in this question. You see, Israel was not a, a colony of Rome. Israel was a conquered territory and Rome was the latest of a series of foreign occupying powers who exerted their control over the Israelites by taxing them heavily. In effect, they were being taxed for their own oppression. And so if Jesus says that it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, well, he stands to lose the support of the people around him, at which point it would have been safe to arrest Jesus. But if he says that the law forbids paying taxes to Caesar, then they have an accusation they could bring to the Romans and have Jesus arrested. You see how dangerous a territory Jesus is in. Pretty sneaky plot. I I wonder if binary questions that we offer to one another are always like that. Are, Are you this or are you that? No matter how we answer, we end up trapped. But Jesus sees what's happening. And he refuses to to play along with their game. Rich Mullins used to say, it don't do to fight with God because you just can't win. And that's, in effect, what we have going on in this story. In trying to outwit the master, the Pharisees and the Herodians are themselves outwitted. Matthew tells us that Jesus was aware of their malice and said, why are you putting me to the test you hypocrites Show me the coin used for the tax and They brought him a denarius (laughs) Now they don't see it yet, but they have actually already lost the argument Why? Well, because Jesus didn't have a coin Now why does that matter? Well the denarius coin in Rome was considered a graven image to observant Jews of the time. It was considered idolatrous. Well, because on the denarius coin was an inscription, and it said this, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. You see, the emperor wasn't simply projecting himself as a political leader. The coin said he was the son of God. It's not hard to imagine why observant Jews would see this kind of inscription as idolatrous and unfit for being in the temple at all. That's why there were money changers to begin with, so that observant Jews wouldn't have to use these idolatrous coins when they paid for their sacrifices. And so Jesus doesn't have a coin like this on him, but the people who are questioning him do, thus exposing their own hypocrisy by having this kind of a coin in the temple. But Jesus drives home his point by saying, whose head is this and whose title? And they respond, the emperor's. So Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And that ended this round of the argument. Now, contrary to the way this verse is often interpreted, Jesus is not advocating for some form of the separation of church and state. That's just not how ancient people thought. For them, religion and politics were inseparable. And so what Jesus is saying is actually something more ambiguous and more provocative than that. See, when he asks, whose head is this? It literally said, whose image is this? is on this coin. And they say, well, that's Caesar's image. And so by saying, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, Jesus is suggesting that these idolatrous coins, that we spend so much time measuring our worth, putting our trust and our security into, if Caesar wants them, he can have them. After all, he made them. But give to God what belongs to God. So, what do you think belongs to God? Well, everything. Everything belongs to God. And, and who bears the image of God? Well, that's everyone. Everyone bears the image of God, which means that you belong to God. That this is where you derive your meaning and your security from. And so give to God what belongs to God, means your whole life, all of your talent, all of your treasure, everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that you will be, it all is a gift from God. And so in his confrontation with the people who would eventually kill him, Jesus actually dignifies his opponents, even as he challenges them. See, often when we engage in debate with people, we are tempted not merely to disagreement, but to disparagement. To see others as somehow less than ourselves. And that kind of contempt is alive and well in our culture, is it not? You see, we don't just disagree with people. We are tempted to think of them as stupid at best and evil at worst. That's why dividing the world into two is so dangerous. You start with an opponent and you will end up with someone who needs to be destroyed. But in this exchange, Jesus reminds his opponents of their shared humanity. That they all bear the image of God. Even as they are trying to entrap him, even as Jesus is exposing their evil intent, he still reminds them of their dignity for we are all made in the image of God. Friends, in this divided time, may we remember Jesus' reminder to us and to those that we disagree with that for all of our differences, we each bear the image of God. So what does that mean? Well, that means that Kamala is fearfully And wonderfully made. It means that Donald is beloved by his creator. It means that Mike is cherished by the creator of the cosmos. It means that Joe is someone for whom God would and has gladly laid down God's own life. You see, if if we can't agree on this without clenching our teeth, then we have lost the plot. To see the divine image in all people, even in our enemies, is to recognize that before there was original sin in chapter 3 of Genesis, God gave us an original blessing that can never be revoked. To be blessed with the image of God is to recognize that even the people that we most deplore carry something of God in them. They reveal something of God to us, even as we reveal something of God to them. They still bear the divine DNA, just as we do. And our speech and our actions and even our thoughts must reflect that. We don't write people off. Just, we don't write anyone off because we all bear the divine image and no amount of sin can undo that. You see, Jesus, Jesus knows that image is everything. We never meet a person who is not beloved of God. We never meet a person whom God does not cherish And this means that our treatment of those we most adamantly disagree with still must honor and respect the divine that dwells within them. So no matter who wins this upcoming election, a significant portion of our community will be disappointed, angry even. And it is up to us to remind ourselves, to remind our neighbors that God's image is what unites us all, which is why every person is precious and no one should be thrown away. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. You belong to God. You always have. You always will, even if you felt or thought that you haven't, you still have always belonged to God. See, all this dividing of the world into two, that's what we do. We're the ones who draw a circle around us and our group and say, we're the ones that belong and everyone else doesn't. And Jesus is the one who comes along and draws a larger circle still, one that is broad enough for all of us so with the forces that are seeking to divide us, may you hold on to this primary gospel truth that you belong to God, that I belong to God, that we all bear the divine image and nothing can undo that. No president, no election, no nothing. Thanks be to God. Amen.